a fair shake. HBO needs to fire you. You know no up, Fox. You ain't My yeah, How did he gonna be as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing Chuckles on the other side. That's how easy that was. <laughs> and he better than us? Are you serious, James Tony? Allegedly, he said that you left him in a bloody poke. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. he was high. It says that, uh. Yeah, I was on his private jet or something like that. Yeah, was wow. Like, yeah, that was pretty serious. You're starting to say all these big words. I'm starting to take it as disrespect. And welcome to episode two with Shakiba Mogadam. So in this one, we're probably going to drill down more into the SS Who Dares Wins experience, which I found fascinating. So if you want to understand the context of the conversation, feel free to watch episode five of season five of the UK version of SS Who Dares Wins. If you've got time, watch all six, because I think that gives a wider context in terms of the discussion. But I think episode five is enough and it gives you a sense of why Shakiba feels a bit aggrieved. But I think if you watch the whole end-to-end season, you'll understand exactly why it was a bit of an unfair portrayal. But notwithstanding that, I still give her massive respect for doing it because it looked grueling and having done something similar before, you know, it's utterly ruthless and the stuff that happens there doesn't just happen for TV. And then, you know, as we get deeper into the episode, we talk about some of the things she's doing now and some of the projects she's got going go, going off the ground with the SS Who Dares Wins guys. And the thing I take away from it is this is a woman in a rush to achieve and, you know, she puts a lot of that down to boxing and I guess it echoes a lot of the things I say that boxing can be a fantastic source for change and growth if you're willing to put the hard work in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy part two with Shaq. Enjoy. Now I want to switch gears and I want to talk about something that has bugged me since I first watched it. And just to to highlight to the audience, you, you might be most famous in this country for being number 13 on season five of SAS Who Dares Quits. Now, for anyone out there, if you want to binge watch something, I think like it's worth binge watching because it is, it's an entertaining show. Um, Ant Middleton and his band of merry men do make it reasonably entertaining. But when, when you reveal that you're on this, I remember just going, what? Really? Really? All... Or 51 kilos of it? Because you would have just been over the weight limit, right? Yeah. 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 Did, you, did you have weights in your pockets just to make sure? Oh, I weighed in fully clothed, yeah. <laughs> and I dropped it for it. <laughs> so, so what triggered that? So there must have been a point. Were you approached or did you approach them? I, so I approached them. Um, I actually approached them the year before. I applied the year before that. Um, and I got through to the last 30, 20 season before. Um, and I got to the last 30 and three days before flying out to what, what was Tilly, um, I got told I wasn't going and that I'd been dropped. And that was like heartbreaking because my heart set on going. But as, as I always say, I'm a massive believer of everything happens for a reason. And uh, going on it, 
the year is five. It just came at the most perfect time in my life. So I looked at the entry criteria because because I was like, could I have done these things? And having watched the series, the entry criteria are massively deceptive because that's stuff you can do, right? A couple of months of hard training, you can do a, a jerry can yeah. walk and so forth and a few push-ups. But yeah. <laughs> if you just think that's enough, like Jesus. It, <laughs> You're for sure. <laughs> So, so it was good for me to watch because I grew up doing most of that stuff. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a Southern African thing, you know. You you do the obstacle courses, you do all the the rucksack full of crap basically, and do your yomping and your hiking and stuff. So yeah. when I was watching that, I was like, oh, Jesus, good luck to you guys, because you're doing it like in the cold and the rain. But I think with Zimbabwe, it's what five thousand feet above sea level, so you do feel it a bit. Although if you've grown up there like I did. It's, it's, it's nothing new to you, but I definitely can't yeah. do it now. So, yeah. So, how did you find the training? Because obviously, as you've said, like you'd have probably been the smallest in the field, and yeah, you know, you know that you're gonna have to do some things where you're lifting close to your body weight. So, how was yeah. the training for that, as opposed to boxing training? So, what were the the changes you had to make? Um. So, this is interesting. Ask this because I only had two weeks' notice to get ready for it. Um, they didn't get in touch with me until two weeks out that I was going on it. Um, and I was actually getting ready to... I was making my comeback, as you call it, in boxing, and I was going to compete in the um, in the Nationals in October. And so I was cutting weight, <laughs> which was the worst thing I could have been doing at that point in time. So I was I was weighing in just under fifty, if not on fifty, um, to then make weight at forty eight come October and I got told two weeks before we flew out on the third of October and I was a bit annoyed because I was like, I've just cut this weight, um, I was getting ready for weigh ins. Um but at the same time, um I remember I, I, I had my interviews and they were like, Make sure you get in water. They wouldn't say anything. They were like, make sure you get in water um, and get used to being in water. And that was literally it. So in my head, I was like, right, um, so that we're going to be in water because they kept telling me to get in water. Um, I didn't know where we were going, but they knew. I said in my application that I hate being in the cold. I, my body, I was, I'm, I, was in, I, I was born in Iran, in Tehran, banging in the middle of the Middle East. Um, I, I was born there, I grew up there, and so I've not used, I'm still, you know, I've been here for like 20, 19, 20 years now, maybe. I'm still not used to the cold in this country. Um, even though it gets cold in Iran and it snows extremely heavily, it is just a, the level of coldness. Like when you get snow, it's a different level, like it's a fun level because it's snowing and you have fun in the snow. Here it's just rain, and um, I'm still not used to that. And I'm not used to the cold. And so preparing, um, they said to me to go to the closest sea and to get in and to start swimming. And with two weeks to go, I didn't want to risk my, um, running my immune system low. So I didn't actually go in the sea at all. Um, even though I got told like three times to go in the sea, I didn't go in the sea because I knew I'd be running the risk of running my immune system low, 
but also because I've been dropping, although I'll say I was cutting weight, like if I wanted to drop weight, it's only a couple of kilos anyway. Um, but essentially, I should have tried to be maintaining, if not putting on a little bit more weight to help with the cold. Um, so in that two weeks, I literally um, started with breathing exercises. Um, my sister is a yoga instructor and she was amazing. So I, I spoke to her a lot. I had a couple of sessions with, in terms of meditation exercises, um, breathing exercises. And I'm, I'm very familiar with like visualization and mental preparation because of my psychology, sort of psychology background. And so I started doing a lot of that. Um, I've started having cold showers once, if not twice a day, um, as well as cold um, baths. And that they were horrific. While I was building it up on body, and I was saying I stood on there for like five minutes. And if anyone's had cold showers, like five minutes to begin with is a big jump. Um, so for me, I, I just wanted to make sure mentally I was used to that cold of um, that coldness. And then I'll come out and I, I was perfectly not warm up. Um, and then I was just, luckily, like, my approach to training is, I, I, I probably in the last year and a half, two years, I'd say, um, I want to be an athlete where I can jump it in and out of something. You know, if I want to do an ultra, I can go and do an ultra. If I want to do my best 5K run, I can do it. If I want to jump into boxing, I can do it with about a week or so prep. So my goal at the moment is is to work towards that being a very diverse athlete, and so actually that enabled me to be in a in a in pretty good condition to be got, to go on it. I was doing a lot of mountaineering. Um, I just finished like an actual running season of just running all, um, and so my feet were conditioned for that weather, luckily. Um, and I just yeah, that that two weeks I had, I was just wearing in the boots I had because those boots are heavy and they're rigid. Um, and just carrying load on my back. Now that two weeks, like I know people had two months to prepare for it, so instantly I was like, go with this advantage, but whatever. Um, and I, for me, I was really focusing on my mental, like side of things. So I know you asked earlier, like what kind of drove me to do it, and there were like several reasons. One of them was because from March last year up until October. I I experienced something I've never experienced, and that was anxiety attacks. And um, I've never experienced anxiety attacks in my life. Obviously, again, because of my field of work and study, I've, I've studied it and I've seen it, but I've never experienced it myself. Um, and it, it, it happened after I went back home to Iran in March. I came back with this sense of guilt and anxi- anxiety that I had. Um and I came back and I just nothing just felt the same and the anxiety just got worse and worse and worse I I, I saw a therapist a couple of times didn't work I said my strategy was I just need to put myself in a situation where I know I guess in my head what was deemed as fears back then um, water being one of them being cold being a major one of them and I just need to face it and whether I I crumble under pressure, I get on with it, will come down to me in that first moment in time. Um, but I just had to put myself in a position position where I had no other choice than to either have an anxiety attack or just to try and control my emotions. Um, that's not something I'd advise. I think it's great for people to seek help because not in 99% of the time it will work, but sometimes I would think, well, no, it didn't work for me because I 
I couldn't at that time understand the root of my problem. Um, so, yeah, like I said, it came at the most perfect time in my life. There was a lot of issues going on at home, which I, I needed to get away from. Um, and, yeah, as soon as I was like, you want to come on? I was like, yeah. So I, I really focused on my mental, mental preparation more than anything because I didn't want to lose control and like with anxiety, if anyone's ever experiencing any snicker or the symptom of it, it's so crippling to the point where I'm informed not having any problems getting on a plane or getting on a train or any transport to not not being able to get in my mate's car if we were driving up to London for something, for example. I'd say it became really crippling. It started to affect a lot of aspects of my life. For example, getting a train to work. Um, I had to really prepare myself for two days before if I could go and get a train. Um, coming home to then having a breakdown and having an anxiety attack and then not understanding why it was happening. Like, mountaineering the game became difficult for me. I don't know why because I, I was enjoying that just before up until I went back home and then all the side of my face, everything I loved was anxiety. And so it became really crippling and so I just wanted to deal with it and that was my way of going in the show and um, dealing with it and preparing myself in the best way I could mentally and more than physically up there. No, I, listen, I thought it was impressive. I genuinely did because, you know, you, you know, per pound of body weight, you probably worked harder than anyone else on there if I'm being honest with you because you know, obviously you're the smallest yeah. and it's not like they they cut corners on what you had to carry and lift now you see you were on the inside so I think your perspective is really interesting because I, I watched it as a viewer and mm-hmm. my frustration was I could see that they were trying to tug at my heartstrings because you start off on episode one and they had the the Kirsty Hendy ab shots I was like oh okay and listen, we all jumped on Instagram to see, okay, let's see what this is all about. And I'm not going to lie, I did that too. But then I think over time, they almost manipulate you into feeling different ways about different people. And, yeah, and so I think my question to you is, on that SAS Who Dares, Who Dares Wins, what was it like behind the scenes? So who were the characters that you, you bonded with and who are the characters you didn't bond so well with? Yeah, um, I would say... So something that I did get told actually um, was that I was the smallest person they've ever had on the show. So for me, it was like, yeah, I'll take that title, um, which made me actually feel not that I wasn't proud of myself because I was, but it just gave it that good moment in terms of all right, like yeah, I just felt like I was like, don't know, just very un- like I think everyone undermined me, even people in it afterwards. And being one of them, that they just looked at me and thought, you know, sure I'm going to get fired. Like, and said he thought I wouldn't last a day in that. And so it was nice being an underdog because I think my goal was never to prove anyone wrong. I don't really care what people think. Like, you can think what you want. My, my, my reason in going on there was to prove everything to myself and anyone else. Um, there was a lot that went on behind the scenes that people just didn't see. I think the nature of TV production, which I wasn't familiar with at all, and it takes such a role, they they already have a narrative built for you. They already know what kind of outcome they want, and so they will paint that picture to the audience. And I think it's really easy for someone to sit there and view it from the comfort of your home 
from the warmth of your home. You know, you've got food in your belly, you've got your blanket next to you, you're not wet, you're not cold. Um, it's easy to criticise someone from the comfort of your own home, but there was just so much like behind the scenes. I think, for example, we didn't have showers, so we couldn't shower. Everything, anything that you that was known as comfort was taken away from me. We had no, we had two sets of underwear, two sets of bra, including like, that being included in underwear. That was all we had in terms of blogging, unless you were some sort of medication. And so, not all things that we were used to, like going to sleep with wet clothes on, not being dry ever, being cold. And for someone, I generally suffer with like cold because given my, my petite size as well, like I don't, just the cold doesn't play in my favour whatsoever. And so, like you said, like I had, I did have to work a lot harder when it came to like physical stuff. But I do feel like I made up for it in terms of my mentality because I just, in my head, I took the word quit out of my vocab and it was non-existent. And I went in there just knowing if anything happens, let it happen. If you're going to have anxiety, let it happen. Let it be. It is what it is. And when it comes to my men- mental like side of things, I had confidence that I was the most mentally tough person there and I told that to myself when I went in and that is something I truly believe and there's a power with believing in in certain things and when you truly believe in something there's a power to it there's energy that you give to that thought Um, and so I I truly believe there was no one there that could even come close to my mental resilience and that showed itself and that was true because I didn't quit and I think I got, I'm not someone who doesn't get on with people, but I, I've warmed to people more. So in terms of warming to people, there was Amar, who was number 14, and unfortunately, again, he didn't incredible, and he just didn't see enough of him in it at all. Um, you see a bit of him in Series 5, but Amar did incredible. Um, he comes, his background, in terms of what he's, he's kind of been through, the challenges he's had in life, are just, he's, it's not something that you see in every day. Just some of the stuff he's been through as a child, as a grown up. I admired him. Um, yeah, we became really close in the show. Um, he was number fourteen, I was number thirteen, so naturally we were always next to each other. And he, his dad is Iraqi, and obviously I'm Iranian, so Amar was half half Iraqi, quarter Irish, quarter English, and so. Um, so we just had so much to discuss we had similar views in, in politics and it was just nice to have someone like he was just on the same vibe as me and like we just got each other um, and I felt like we just had each other's backs when it came to things like I was saving a snack he would save me a snack for example um, there was Kim I really got on with Kim like and then me and Kim just just had our personalities, Kim was number nine, we had a lot in common, like, um, Kim is from, she's born, born in London, Hackney, but her mother's, her mother's from Vietnam, and so we'd experienced, for example, a lot of difficulties growing up as someone who identifies as, um, for example, as much as I hate to use the word Bane, but from a Bane background, um, people that identify from different ethnic communities, and um, there's certain things that you just you just click and you just re- relate with and we just see eye to eye and we got paired off quite a lot for an old exercises and so naturally we're bonding and when we finish something we'll run back to each other and I'll be like oh my god well done and she'll be like you've done real well on that well done and 
and just as a thing exchange of a few words were really nice there were a lot of emotional moments we had together and I'll go to her or she'll come to me and that was nice and it was nice to be able to connect with another female in there um, and then there was Mould and um, Jerome again I got, I got on with really well just as a female wise um, I wouldn't say again I don't I didn't get on with other people I would just say like we come from very different walks of life there were some people in there that have perhaps come from a very privileged lifestyle and we couldn't relate in terms of a lot of things. Um, for example, they had, had a, like, when I said privilege, in terms of some of the struggles were in the same, and not that I expect anyone's had the same struggles as me, but there's a certain level of understanding when someone comes from a place of hardship rather than privilege. And so I just felt like I connected more with people that had the same um, background in life as me than I did to others that were more privileged for example although like I, I was cool with them but that connectiveness wasn't quite there so and I think a... in a situation like I say a few days wins you truly kind of really come out yeah. um, and you get you've got to see people's real like side and they are different from how they were when you first initially met them to what they're like when you literally drip every concept that they have and it is them and just them. People change, like you see the real ones. No, yeah, a lot of guys Absolutely. were talking the hardest. A lot of them were talking the hardest. Jerome came yeah. in, all guns blazing. That Kirsty Hendy came in, all guns blazing. And the thing is, and I guess this is where boxing's helpful. Like you immediately see through that, right? So you're listening to the words, but you're looking at the eyes, and the eyes aren't looking at you when they say it. And you're like, oh, okay. And then. There were, there were some other mm-hmm. people who, and that's why I quite like Kim. Kim was a sleeper because if you didn't know what to look for, you just go past Kim. But Kim was always yeah. that person who, in interactions, you never really saw her take a backward step. It was subconscious, yeah. but she never took a backward step. Yeah. And it's the same yeah. with you. Like in all the clips they had of you, man, you were always near the front or thereabouts. And I was thinking, yeah, okay, Shaq's got this, man. Shaq's got this. But then, yeah, yeah, those ones that were talking the hardest. The thing is, all it did was it put you on the radar. And then they were mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to come for you. And I think the survival strategy yeah. in those things is just lay low for a bit. Yeah. Um, I think, like, you know, when you talk about survival for cities, that was literally it. Like, fight or flight or freeze, survival for cities. And strategy wise, Talking the hardest doesn't work in those kind of situations. Like, yes, it might work in boxing, for example, in the interviews, and for you to build up some sort of hype and belief around you. Um, but what, for example, in boxing, when it gets down to it and that bell goes, that is it, it's you and your opponent and no one else. And let's see, like, how much of this talking is going to come to life. It was the same in that. Um, and it was really so I've off the cities. And I just feel like a lot of people crumbled. And, like, I think people just took things way too personally like I went in there with an expectation of being shouted out being thrown out getting taken the piss out of um, especially from being the smallest one there and just being overlooked constantly and that is literally what I got like the first three four days it was just like look at like just swearing constantly which is cool because I'm like I'm, I'm, I swear I'm, I'm like I'm cool with that I don't mind like you get it in gyms but in a gym environment people know what I'm like so I was just like I didn't have that undermining feeling whereas there I got that a lot like especially from Anne 
and um, he would just bring up my thighs like, you know, you're, you're not going to last one more day and watch. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's like, I, I don't need to like, I don't need to react to that. I don't, and one thing I, I didn't show, I didn't react to anything they were saying. I was, it would just go over my head. Like some people, they'll take it so personally and then they get upset over it. And I'm like, you can't let your emotions play a part in this. Because as soon as you let your emotions, I know it's really hard because your emotions creep in as you're being stripped out of everything that you know that's comfort. But you have to try for your emotions not to play. And like, my emotions came into play and I tried really hard to, to put them back in back in where they belong. Because I didn't want any distractions. I just wanted it to just get on with the ne- next task. And I think, again, talking the hardest one work in that situation because you be, you're going to get tested. You're going to get tested in what you say, what you, say you are. You know, whether that's a backwards dive and you don't quite do it whether that's carrying a load on your back and you don't do it and you, then you can't do excuses. And people will see right through that. And words are meaningless when your actions don't portray your words anymore. And you see that in boxing all the time. And I think because I had that similarity with boxing, I could see right through it, like you said. And, like, you can tell a lot by someone's eyes. You can, you know, someone's eyes could shout fear whilst they're giving it to God. And so you can tell a lot by someone's body and the way they carry themselves and yeah I think I was, and one thing great about all of the DSs there and Ollie, Foxy, Dilly and Jay was that they were really good at seeing right through people and that's one thing I actually admired was that skill they had um, and then one thing I know that Billy admitted to you was that he shouldn't have judged me or Kim by just looking at us because he, I know he said he wrote us both off. I know Ant said um, in one of the mirror room interviews, he said, um, I wrote you off, which was followed by a really lovely compliment. And he was like, oh, I've never met anyone more emotionally intelligent than you. And that's a really good compliment coming from me. And, and it was a compliment because it's coming from someone who's, who's been once at the elite level. And so for me, I think. Oh, yeah, I came with the expectation of being screamed at, and some people came in maybe thinking they're going on a holiday, and that's not what they got, and the results showed because they didn't last very long. So, like when I watched it, like I told you, you go through this roller coaster. So, uh, number twenty-three was it Eloise? Yes, I think it was. I'm really bad with numbers, but yeah, yeah, I think she was. Yeah, because yeah, if you look at her, she went from from crying when her sister got hands put on her to then they were like, oh, you know, she's unbreakable. She's this, she's that. And I was like, nah, come on, really? You know, I don't know. And I I felt, like you said, it, it didn't ring, a lot of it didn't ring true. And like, I've got friends in the special boat service and in the SAS. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just firing messages off going, who would you have got yeah. rid of? And he, I got a message back, those sisters. That, yeah, yeah, he was there. Those sisters are all wrong for this. And yeah. you know, the view was actually, and I, the guy I felt sorry for was Jerome because on the episode he broke physically, they made him carry yeah. the heaviest load because he was at the back of the log lift, if I remember correctly. Oh my God. And yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm like, man, come on, you got to rotate that load for someone else. Like, let him have a rest. And then that was him finished. And I thought, that was a bit unfair because he'd pulled himself back. Now I'm not saying he was the greatest. He, he flapped a lot, but 
You know, we're all like that. Like, like, listen, if you've ever seen me do a half marathon, I bitch, I moan, I shout, I scream, I say, I don't want to do this anymore, but I'll finish it. Yeah. Yeah. I felt for him. Um, Yeah. And then there was the, the little sneaky motherfucker. And I don't care if she ever hears this, that Nicola who, you know, I watched every episode. I was like, who the hell is that? Do you see what I mean? I was like, who the hell is, who, who is that? And then at the end, like it's all revealed, oh, she's Nicola. And then she, obviously, you know what she did in the last episode? Like, I mean, self-snitching is the worst form of snitching, to be honest with you. Yeah. About, yeah, that was an So in terms of the logistics, how many hours are you actually out and about doing stuff? And how many, how, how much downtime do they actually give you? All right, so say you've got 24 hours in a day. Right, I would say for out of that twenty four hours, you are out probably for eighteen, and you break uh broken down in odd hours. And I say that because you don't have a designated like lunch time, you don't have a designated breakfast time, you don't have a designated nothing. And for the majority of the day, if not for all of the day, sometimes you are literally out on multiple different exercises. And then when you come back, it's like, get your kit sorted. And then when you're sorting yourself out, you're like, get out now. And then you go off in the night. So there was literally like no time where you thought, you know what, I can actually get my head down for like an hour or two. And then when we did, when we could, could get our heads down, it was all about drying your kit. All being, so we had a night watch, which, I don't think the audience actually really see, but every like I mean, as people dropped out, the the watch got longer. So you were paired up with someone, and you go and the watch was in. And you can never really get straight up sleep, um, and you don't really see that at all. And like sleep debt starts to kick in pretty early on, and if you don't experience sleep debt, if you haven't experienced that before, I think that that hits you so hard that hit by not being able to sleep when you're hallucinating. It's a weird place to be, like just being stuck in that weird limbo and a lot of people struggle with that and that was real obvious like people moaning and bitching about it and again I, I just think you, you need to expect those things to happen when you come into a program that, that that extreme it's no love island it's no big brother like you ain't going to get treated like loyalty or anything they're going to literally try and break you down and I think yeah, people weren't expecting that so I would say, yeah, out of the 24 hours, probably 18 to 19 hours of that is literally doing stuff. And then the remaining hours is trying or attempting to sort yourself out. And I think a lot of people that actually run out early really lack in their admin skills. Like, they'll come out with, like, buttons unopened, things hanging out, bottles not full out, and then I'll be like, the fuck is this? Writing your button done up, everyone get down and like then we'll have a thirty minute circuit. Um apart from the person who'd messed up. And I think, yeah, your admin played like people's admins played played a huge part in it and they just weren't prepared for that. Again, another thing people just weren't prepared for some people know anyone. Um and yeah, I just feel like in terms of I just feel like there were people that should have gone out earlier. Um there were people that they should have been kept in sort of other people, like giving them more of an opportunity, like they gave opportunities to people that should have gone way before. And everything was, to me, was predetermined. So it didn't come down to 
Now, obviously, you you might get cold because you're not performing to how you should be performing, and I get that. But sometimes there are people who get cold. Every every person that got cold, that was the right decision for them. But there were more people that should have been cold than they didn't, and they got to stay longer. That's what I disagreed with because the call wasn't coming from Ant or Ollie or Foxy or Billy or Jay eventually. It was coming from the producers and the no, not the producers, the directors. And to me, I, I don't I don't think that's right because the show isn't about the, the directors and about the people that were still in front of us. They'd gone to battle, we'd been there, we'd done it. Not about the, the directors who have no idea about that kind of life. So that was the one thing that really hit me hard was like actually you just don't have a say in what's going on and that really annoyed me. Um, especially when I got withdrawn when I when I shouldn't have got withdrawn. And that to me was really unethical. Um and it, yeah, it shouldn't have, I should have been there until the end. Because I, I wasn't gonna quit because I knew I had like less than twenty four hours until I was done. Yeah. No, no, let's come but, on let's come on to that. I wanna shed on a few people yeah. before we do that. Um <laughs> You know, because, no, no, let's be real, right? When you watch that, there were a lot of kind of middle and upper middle class people, disproportionately so. That wasn't socially representative at all. Because mm-hmm. you, no. you had the sisters, you had the, was yeah. it Carla? You had, Carla, yeah. you had the posh guy who was like, oh, I was head boy at school and I gravitate oh, towards yeah, positions Chris, of power. Oh yeah. What an absolute Chris, tosser yeah. he was. Like, he literally was invisible, he appeared for a bit, and then he was gone. Yeah, yeah, but but funnily enough, Chris said, he got hit, hit with a branch in his eye. So, so he said, his eye was pretty messed up, to be fair. And so he went out because of his eye. Ah, um, lack of observational skills. There you go. He, yeah. you, you, they should have cut him anyway. And then, who... who? Well, I just... I just yeah, I just think like he was sat next to me during the inter- one of the inter- like one of the hours of the interrogation, and um, he was screaming so loud that I could hear him over my headphones. And I was like, "This guy's struggling. He's going to go out soon." <sighs> and so it makes the question: Was his eye, or was it that he had enough? And of course, he had enough, but don't make excuses. And then he went on to say that he would have won it if it wasn't for his eye. But I, I know because of the person he is, he wouldn't have won it. Do you know what? Do you know what? Like, come on, we've all we've all been there. Like, you know, when you have a really brutal training session, it's the the last fifteen minutes, and they make you do that circuit, which is actually designed to finish you off. And you feel every little niggle in the last three minutes. You feel every little niggle, and you're like, "My back's broken. My back's broken. I can't carry on." But you learn to overcome that, and that's probably him. Oh my. If he had been three hours away from winning, that I would have been an issue. Yeah, I think like although he didn't make it that far, he went out before me, so he had yeah. But I'm like, to me, twenty four hours is enough time to be like, I went about this one. I'm just gonna let my eyes go, deal with it, yeah, and um, just get on with it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it was the arrogance that came after of like going on social media and being like, I, I was the strongest person there when in fact you, we know you were. And he had a problem with females doing better than him um, and that annoyed me again and I'm like he, like he got picked up in terms of his weaknesses weaknesses that a lot of females had learned being picked up on and he had a problem with that and that, I think that didn't sit right with me and I got annoyed actually because I'm like you run like this in real life you go on social media and then this side of you comes out 
Um, and they said that's a switch of personality because now suddenly you protect the voice screen and not, it's not real large. Um, so yeah, that really annoyed me when it came to that. Yeah, I, I couldn't stand the guy. And I'll tell you who else should have gone. And the reason why I think she should have gone actually isn't the reason that most people would think so. I thought Carla should have gone. And the moment she should have gone was, you know when they, you had to do the, the video from your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's watching hers. And I think all four kids and the husband are in the image. And yeah. she, she has no reaction and no emotion to her kids and slammed down the laptop when it was done. And I thought to myself, nah, nah those are your kids. And there's no flicker of, of any kind of reaction. And I know you're playing a game to an extent, but I was like, nah, 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 nah. there's something not right here. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're probably like that in general, quite functional. And, you know, I was like, ah, you can't have someone like that in the team as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no fun in that. And, yeah. and she dropped the map. Oh, I was just going to say that. Um, and that map was a lot of hassle, which led like, and this is the one thing that annoys me. It's like, they didn't show this from the part that I had. And like, after that map got, map got lost, I I managed to find, and this literally comes from my experience of running on mountains. And I managed to find a route that I knew wasn't a normal path, but it was a different type of path that we were able to get to our destination. And so I led our group, like, through this. It was horrific, especially without, like, a map. I just trusted my instincts because I was like, this is this similar layout as to what I'm used to in like up in the mountains. Yeah. Luckily it got us out of where we were. And we had like these guys in balacavas and guns like coming at us from the other side of the hill. And we just had to get out. Yeah. I know that Carlo was really fixated on wanting to find the map. And I was like, no mate, like we haven't got time. Like we need to go. And to be fixated on something that like in real life, if that map was gone, it would be gone. You need to just get on the there and just find your way out. And it was small stuff like that. And I just think, like, physically, on the mountain, like, she was incredible at navigation, don't get me wrong, and there was a massive credit. But physically, I think, when it came to calling people, she she should have been called when Kirsty went. Um, and I think, yeah, there wasn't, there were quite similar, in terms of similarity of, of weaknesses, and everyone had weaknesses, but some portrayed them more than others. Carla should have gone with Cloud when Kirsty got cold. Um, I think that would have been a good call, a good call to make. But again, when I found out it, it wasn't in, it wasn't in the hands of the deal. I and and his name. I don't think in, in who were the other duds. That Ollie was a car crash waiting to happen as well. Ah, oh, massively, massive. Like the thing is as well, like a couple of them wanted to quit so many times and like it just didn't happen I'm like why are you not catching this on tape like some of them were like I'm going to go have my number in and then it took a couple of hours they're like no 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 come on put it down you don't want to do that now and I just thought yeah Ollie was one of them like several times he was like oh no I've had enough and then it happened because he got woken up about 3am and was like we had to go get taken out and do a boosting like half an hour in the rain and he was like no I'm done um so that rain was real because sometimes when some some you know what this was a weird thing you'd hear the rain sound effects i'm like but why is everyone dry oh my god no we were not dry we were 100 percent fucking wet and um i was convinced there was a rain machine somewhere 
there wasn't. It was just Scotland. But I was convinced. I was like, it's their rain machine because it just conveniently rained horrifically every time we were out. But it didn't. It was literally in the Scotland Highlands, especially in Isle of Skye and Isle of Rasse. Um, but, but one thing that blew me away, and I'd love to point this out, is how fit those guys are. Like, they are physically just unbreakable. I was just like, wow. With the, the DS guys. Yeah, like, there was one point where Fox said, when he went in front of me, they just had their hands in their pockets going up this deep ass mountain, more than like breathing heavily. And I just think that mentality and that physicality is just embedded in them for the rest of their life now. Like, that is, like, when you're elite, you, you, there's a certain mentality that you'll just carry with you. And I remember afterwards, I was just like, you, like, I was so impressed. I was. And they pull out the, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm 40 something. And I'm like, I don't care how old you are. Like, you guys are just, like, just inspiring. Like, for me, that was, that was, that was inspiring. Like, massively inspiring just watching them. And the thing is, they, before we did anything, they'd do it. The first one with the backwards dive was, like, so majestic watching all three of them, like, in sync, go backwards, come up and laughing, and then walking off. And although they couldn't make that look more majestic and more cool, like, and it, it, it was us doing it, that they can like that. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. And it's just, yeah, it was just a privilege to be in my presence, I think, just, and to, to gain a because they're not active mm-hmm. when they're young. They're not kids that run around mm-hmm. and climb trees and do stuff like that. When you yeah. want them to do things like run, it's almost like they have to learn how to run long distances. Like I go back to my sister yeah. and I, yeah. like we, we used to do obstacle courses. I remember being about, I must've been about eight and my sister was 10. And a guy called John Wiseman, who was with the SAS years ago, oh, wow. came, he came to Zimbabwe and he was basically teaching my dad's team that stuff like bushcraft and you know their their covert tactics and stuff and it was in our school holidays so we spent all the time he was there literally with these guys because no one minded us being there and we were doing the stuff they were doing so you're running with an ak-47 over your head and stuff like that and even though i don't do that now I, i know that if i start training i'll just rediscover that in the same way that if i start running i know my legs will pick it up but it's yeah muscle memory yeah, and people forget it's reps and reps and reps. And I imagine Ant Middleton and the rest of that squad just have the reps in them from years and years of doing it. Yeah. Because how many yeah, missions do absolutely. they do? Like in a 10-year career, how many real missions do you do? Not that many, right? So the rest of the time you're just training. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, there's only time that I thought you can go on until then you have to come back and recover. So in that meantime... You, you were just training and then that is like rigorous training that you, you, your muscles will remember for the rest of your life. Like that's skills that you just learn to get. Like I will forever know how to throw a punch because yeah. it has been embedded in me, you know. I will know how to throw a proper punch and how the techniques you use to throw a one-two. And it's, it's the same concept, muscle memory um, for them guys. And yeah, just to see it in action, it was like I was just in, in awe of it. I will bet money some of those guys had EPO in them. 
there. Because look, if I'm Ant Middleton, I'm going to be real and go, listen, I'm not getting shown up by no civilians. Yeah. I am not getting <laughs> shown up. Yeah. Someone needs to put some test in the right arm and some EPO in the left arm and screw these, screw these civilians, man. No, no chance. That's me. I'm like, no way. I would love to know. Um, not that I would care because whatever, like, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I can't say it's their own, but I would love to know if that was the case or not. It wouldn't make me think any differently. I just, I still think, like, they've done amazing to get to where they are. But, yeah, I'll, that yeah. would be one thing I would actually love to know. Yeah, 100%. People don't realise. So, the Metropolitan Police estimate one in five of their officers is on steroids. Like, they've pulled oh, people yeah. up for being on roids. So you're telling me the army aren't like that as well? I, I'd, yeah. Yeah, I would. I mean, that's exactly what I would be on. Well, the thing is, as well, when it comes to that, I just think, why not let the army go on steroids? Because you wonder that, like, you want, like, almost abnormally strong people to be in, in, a, in an army force to make the force stronger. So why don't you actually offer them steroids? Like, it's not like they're competing against each other. You realize that um, was what was so. Most of the steroids we have now, the research money came from the United States military or the Russian military, and they were looking uh, at that. Okay, U- U.S., U.S. and Russia. I yeah. wouldn't even question it. That's just blatant. I mean, you just don't like. Yeah, you just don't look at them, guys. I yeah. mean, Americans are just like abnormally. When you look at, for example, their military, abnormally bigger, um, but not like in terms of, like, masculine density as well. And, yeah, I, and Russia. Russia is another one. Um, like the Serb, and the Serbian army, for example, they look at their special forces. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's right of me to say there's a, a time and a place for it. I don't know. Um, but it's, a, it's a something that I've been really interested in, especially because my partner is like a, he works in this special condition in business and, He's been a coach for like 13 years in there and he's seen that pattern of change come through and it's something that he does a lot of research in and I think, yeah, I don't know. I, again, we discuss this all the time. I don't know if it's right of me or him to think that there is a time and a place to use it or not. I, yeah, I don't know. Again, something I'm still trying to figure out for myself. See, because in my training, so I, I, like, I remember I probably first stepped in the gym in about early 2000s the first time I went into a gym to lift a weight and Mm -hmm. so I've seen what's happened and you can correlate what you see on Instagram now with the availability of mail order steroids and PEDs because I look and I go I used to train with real animals and real monsters and they didn't look like these guys do now and has definitely not nutrition you know even even like I'm going to put it out there, right? I see a lot of these female fitness influencers. One of them might have been on the same show as you. And I'm like, how mm-hmm. have you got body fat that low as a woman? It's not biologically possible or even safe to be operating at those yep. sorts of levels. And yep, I agree. And I look at that and then I go, huh, what's really happening here? You know? mm, yeah, I, there's, there's certain features Obviously, as a female, I'd focus more because it's, it's, it's my body as well. There's certain features that, that females will have that will be as a consequence of, of a certain drug, for example. And when you see that feature in someone, you'll be like, yeah, they are most likely on something. 
And and it, what is also crazy is that some people are on it and you wouldn't even think they're using it. Um, and it's crazy how normal it's become to use it. Like it's it, it, it become as normalized as, as using a supplement. And people view view it now as a supplement, you know. Oh, I'm just going to... And I, I, I honestly think so many of these fitness models, as they refer to themselves, are on something. Because when you look at the lifestyle, for example, the kind of food they eat, the kind of exercises they do, it's not the kind of exercises that will get you that kind of result. And of course, I know genetics plays a huge part in it. But as again, that, that kind of genetic um, reasoning, it's not for everyone. It no. won't work for like the majority, you know? Um, so I do think, yeah, like, especially with like, people are so focused on their imagery and like, one other thing that affects, I think, how people look online is like the use of Photoshop, good lighting. And I think that makes a huge difference, especially I've noticed that because seeing people in real life and then seeing them in, in social media, I'm like, you look nothing like that. Like, what happened to what happened to your biceps? And like, you know, you flex like you flexing all the time. It's like, some people don't even look like this. <laughs> I don't know. It's just I'm like you look so tan in this picture, and now like you 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 don't look like color anymore to me. And it's just it's it's false to me. All of that is false and fake. And like, maybe because I don't follow that kind of routine in my life. When I see, it, I'm like, whoa! I can call it out more quicker but then at the same time I'm like whatever if that, if that is what makes you happy that's what makes you happy as long as you're not hurting someone or lying to someone for, to better yourself or better your situation so be it you do you whatever will do I will make you happy but then use it to sell yourself so that you can gain from it from the false image by using people's vulnerabilities as yeah. a source of income for you no, absolutely. Now stop conning the public is how I look at it. Just tell them the truth. Look, yeah, you have to take some estrogen blockers to trim the fat off. You're going to have to take five milligrams exactly. of Anavar to do the workout. Now, if you're okay with that, absolutely fine. But you're going to mess your liver up over time. And what you're also going to do is probably put yourself at risk of not having periods for two years. And then when mm -hmm. you finally do and you have kids, there's a chance that you won't carry to term. And even more worryingly, if you do carry to term, your child may have an abnormality. And that would have been down to your PED use without really consulting a physician and understanding what you're doing, just jumping on these forums. Yeah. Simple. Oh my God. Uh, uh, absolutely. It is simple, isn't it? It is literally simple. You just need yeah. to know. You just need to know it. Cause, be true to it. Because Shaq, I know women who, who are in the fitness industry. So the conversations we have are, they'll say, look, Terry, to get on a professional stage, in whatever weight class it is, whether it's female bodybuilding, physique, figure, fitness, whatever, they're like, you're taking testosterone. Now your dose may be yeah. different, but you're taking testosterone to harden up. You're taking some Winstrol. And if you really want to bulk up, you're probably taking Trembolone and Androlone as well. And she yeah, said, look, definitely. it's a dirty, dirty business. Yeah. You know, massive. And you get pressurized into it. But these are women who have accepted I'm never going to have children. I don't want to have children. It's not in my plan. So why do I yeah. need, why do I need periods for? I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't fault that. I'm like, listen, if you're not going to have kids, do your thing. Be happy. But then don't do all of this and then go, 
it's an injustice that things have gone wrong at the other end. Everything has a consequence. You don't, oh, you don't get a free yeah. gift. Yeah, yeah. You've got to pay for actions. I, I agree. And like, yeah, I think, for example, like, I personally wouldn't use it because my menstrual cycle is so important to me, especially because I've lost it before due to not eating properly at all. Um, and so having it back was like a massive thing to me and like I, I want to keep hold of it. And even though having kids isn't part of my life, isn't part of my plan, I still don't want to risk losing my menstruation because it's such a natural process for a female to have and I'm really attached to it. Like it's something that I'll take care of because it's part of me. So I wouldn't risk anything like that for the sake of like I don't know, stepping on stage, gaining like attention on social media, getting some more followers. Having followers, this is something that I heard from someone, a very wise man. And he said, having followers in, in, on social media is like having money in mon- monopoly. And I just think that is so true. And to risk all of that for the sake of something like social media, I just think it, to me, it's abnormal. To me, it's abnormal and delusional what people do. Look, and as as SAS Who Dares Wins showed, like character gets you a lot further than anything else. Muscles, whatever that that stuff's all well and good, but you can't buy character. You can't buy toughness. Toughness is earned. And I guess mm-hmm. coming from boxing backgrounds like we do, that's what you learn is that character is earned, and it's it's not it's just earned by doing what's asked of you consistently and doing it well. It's very, very mm-hmm. simple. You know? Yeah, it is. It is it, you know what? That is literally it. It is so simple. It's discipline and being consistent. That's it. Like, that is the recipe to being resilient. And yet people overcomplicate it. And I, I don't like, you know, I don't like overcomplicated, like, procedures and something is so simple. And part of the equation to be mentally tough isn't to have the best life it isn't to have a six pack it isn't you know to have your avocado on toast and your green smoothie that are just things that have been added to it and like everything all of those things are some sort, in some way artificial like the true essence of it is so simple and you've like boxing really teaches teaches you that in this most rawest form you're literally protecting yourself from getting hit like when you think about it Someone's literally trying to take your head off and you're protecting your body from getting hit. You're protecting yourself from getting hit, from taking blows. For someone who's intentionally trying to not hurt you, but trying to gain points for themselves or to potentially knock you out. So you have to really literally survive in there. And I just, I don't know, I just people, people, I just feel like sometimes people miss the true essence of boxing and how much, how much it really teaches you about life than just just as a sport it's, it's far more than a sport it's like as a cliche but it really is a lifestyle it teaches you so much about yourself and then about, about other people and also just about who you really truly are and yeah as a sport it is a very unique sport and it like I said before and I say now it's helping all walks of life and when I say it just wins it helps because I could draw my experiences that, you know what, I've, I've experienced some sort of hardship in the ring 
experience hardship in my life. So this is just another type of hardship that I'm going to just have to get on with. Um, and so, yeah, I just think, and I think actually accepting how I came out, again, with boxing and with some decisions that may have not gone my way, it was as hard, like, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow and you keep going back to the scenario and replaying it in your head and thinking of all the things that could have happened. So you accept it and, and that acceptance is really important and like probably after 10 months I accepted that that was the way I went out and that that was a director's decision. It wasn't based on anything I'd done. I was literally withdrawn because the director wanted me out. Um, they pulled all the wrong reasons out which was really unethical which again the audience didn't get to see that. It's the nature of TV and uh, I learned to move on as you do with boxing. It's it's so important, and I think this is, if someone says to me, what's the life lesson you've carried since you were a kid? And it's, I only, I only focus on the step in front of me, not the step I just took. And I think that's yeah. important. And from what I could see, and I don't know Ant Middleton well, but I imagine him and I have a lot in common in terms of how I train fighters, and it's this thing. I look for two things in people. One, who goes missing? immediately I look mm -hmm. up for who goes missing and who's trying to hide and then the second thing I look for is when you do something wrong can you come back immediately yeah, and like say that. I'll go again I'll get it right yeah because a lot of people don't yeah no no I think they give up because giving up is, is you, don't have, you don't have to feel uncomfortable again and I think so many people are afraid of feeling uncomfortable within themselves and that's one thing people need to feel comfortable with is being uncomfortable in your own skin for you to realise, okay, why am I feeling uncomfortable? And then address those problems. And once you do, I think it is one of the best things you can do for yourself. And like, yeah, there's no point of hiding from yourself because one way or another, you're going to have to face it. And it's up to you when you decide to face, face whatever it is that you need to face. So the last question I've got for you is this. Out of the out of the twenty, was it twenty five or was it twenty four plus one? Who would have made good boxers was, in that group? Who would have made the boxers? Yeah. Um, I would say Kim because obviously me and her went at it. Um, I would say Amar because he again he was good and actually he he really used his range. I was quite surprised. This tall guy. Um. Jerome because he just loves it. He just he just loves he loves boxing anyway. But, but yeah, he let Jerome's he let he let Chris put hands on him though. I saw that that first time they went at yeah. it. I was I was upset. Yeah, he, it's because he wasn't he wasn't controlling himself. He just I think again controlled aggression. I was when I was doing that and that wasn't quite there. But being that I'm actually watching it, obviously they didn't show you the whole thing. But once he calmed down and he reserved his energy. He knows, like, Jerome knows how to throw a punch and you don't want to be on the other end of it. Because um, <laughs> he ate those uppercuts from Chris. I was like, no. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, yeah, I would say them three for sure. Um, I would love to see, like, I would love to see Anne, Ollie, Foxy. And Foxy's massive as well. A Billy fight. I think that would be amazing. Not each other, but just in like a bout. I would love to see a move box. I think. I'll jump I know in that with Billy's. 
Would you? You should. Uh, you should get in touch with him. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, they they can have one round in, one round out, mate. I'll rotate those guys. And Middleton's too bulky, man. Like he's he's got to pass the piss test first, but he looks too bulky now. I'm like, no, no, no. You know what? And actually, in real life, I thought he was like so much taller than me. We're not that far off. And I'm no, he's probably about five foot five, maybe, but. That is lights like, out for him then. Five foot five, five foot <laughs> lights out. It's lights out. <laughs> he's quick. Nah, he's nah, nah. Qu- he's stupid quick though. He's, I'm just like, where's he gone? Shaq, I'm 112 kilos, but I move. <laughs> I move like a light middle right now. Man. My feet are. He he, he doesn't. No. no chance. No. I would I'd, love to see it though. And I tell I you, I tell you what will do it for him as well. Right hook to the body, right uppercut. I'll even go back and just sit in the corner and chill and go. My work here's done. I always pay to see it purely because I know I know he'll be the kind of person who'll be like, yeah, gone. So I'd, I'd actually pay to see that. I yeah. pay good money for that. So I'm like, yeah, let's <laughs> do this, man. Like, I, actually, I forgot. Did you see the one with Tony Bell? You. Oh my god! I actually thought Tony was going to knock him out. I, I genuinely, because and, and this is the thing, and doesn't give a fuck. So he just gets you in your face, and I was like, and the same thing happened with Drone, and then Drone's a big guy, and I'm like, nah, like all it would take is a left hook, and from those big guys, like Tony's a big guy, Drone's a big guy. I was like, just watch out for that left hook and watch out for it. Uh, Never know. Tony went to pieces though. What was that rope thing he had to do? And no, no, I can't oh, look down. Yeah. I, I can't look down. I'm fucking scared. I was like, yeah, oh you know no. What? Tony, he's like, he didn't, he didn't even watch the show. Yeah, um, I don't know what happened with him, but I think some, like something must have personally happened with him on that show. Like, he, he doesn't, he doesn't speak of it. He doesn't post much about it. He, I don't know what happened with him. Do you know what it is? I think he started grieving because remember he lost his brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, That's sometimes, exactly said. yeah, the right kind of pressure can just draw out the stuff you're hiding, man. We've all had it where we're just like out of nowhere. You've just started getting emotional about something that happened ages ago. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I had that when I was on there like massively and, um, but it's about accepting and like moving on. And I think, I reckon, I think you're, I think you're right. I think he dealt with a lot of things that he's buried like really deep in. And on that show where you're literally just stripped of, like literally stripped of your clothes, stripping everything that you know that's comfort, it is literally you versus you. And this is like what I mean. You have to, you are left with nothing but to face yourself. And I think he faced it. And um, yeah maybe he doesn't want to revisit that moment or whatever but yeah I just feel like yeah him he something happened with him in there I think something happens with everyone when you go in there but if you go in there with like especially like grievance or any sort of issues it really like draws it out of you massively and um but I think for the better um like I, I know I came out and I felt like a new person I felt like I was um, invincible um and like had this euphoric like euphoric feeling coming out of just being on this high but at the same time I was like super alert like too alert to be back on TV street I just every little noise I was just like triggered 
and it took me like, probably three weeks to actually get some decent sleep without like dreams waking me up or thinking we were getting attacked. But yeah, yeah. the feeling is like uncom- I just you just couldn't compare it to anything else. It's mad. Like one of the things when people ask me about boxing, I say the people who are really good at boxing are always running from something. Mm-hmm. You you mm-hmm. can't you can't step through the ropes. I don't care if you spar. I don't care if you fight. You can't step through the ropes and willingly get punched in the face and accept that and dish it back unless you're running from something. And that's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing, but you're running from something because if your life's good, it's very hard to to find that place to keep going. Like you're normally running from mm-hmm. something. Yeah, I think there is something special about boxers. I think there's there's something within them that they're fighting and so they'll, they'll literally put that fight in real life through boxing. And it's a special sport. It is really a special sport. And I think there's a reason as to why like, I connected with so many people because we all had something in common and we didn't have to even speak about it. But our love for boxing like, really connected us. And you don't get that in like, you don't get that in a lot of sport. Like when I tried, tried my hands at like ultra running, the community is lovely, like, so friendly, like, no ounce of ego, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same, like, grittiness that you have in boxing. It, it, um, it didn't give me that. I just didn't get that vibe from it. And and it's cool because you don't need that for ultra running. But yeah, boxing is this different. It is, it's a really unique niche sport. It doesn't give you that sense of, nothing else gives you that sense of truth. Like, because running, essentially, you're willing yourself on. And I think, and I remember saying this to James Cracknell, the Olympic rower, it's easy to tell yourself to row. It's very hard to tell yourself, defend yourself and attack that guy. Can you yeah. impose your will on somebody who's trying to impose his will on you? Yeah. Yeah. It is intentionally hurting someone because they're going to hurt you. And it's survival in its most rawest form. It really is. And you don't get that, you don't get raw than that unless someone's literally coming at you to hurt you in real life, whether that's with a weapon or with their hand. And so I think that's what adds to it is that you are fully accepting the fact that there's a risk of you getting knocked out, becoming unconscious, of getting hurt, but you're willingly taking that risk because part of you enjoys it and yeah not many people can relate to that feeling at all and um, again that's that's why I think I don't know I just feel so connected like I, I met my partner in a boxing gym and we instantly connected for our passion for boxing for contact sport and I think it is it is something that is rare to find in people and but when you find them people it is a true connection especially if people box like if they really box and I'm not talking about like a white collar fight one white, one white collar fight and then that's it but actually the true essence of, of training hard for for a fight for, for multiple fights for sparring like constantly and um, yeah it's, it's a certain type of grit that comes with it and a certain type of rawness that you just you won't find elsewhere. 
I think, yeah, the word is just there's a truth to it. Yeah. You know you yeah, can I, trust I, that I, other person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I keep using the word raw, and I, I just, for me, that really sums it up. Like, it is literal blood, sweat, and tears. Like, you just, it is just raw. And it is, it's not like, it's not artificial. Everything's raw in there when you get in there. And it is the next step before you actually physically have to fight for your life because the next step after that is actually getting in the real fight again whether that's with weapons or whatever and your life is truly in danger and it's putting yourself to that extent of height like emotional heightenedness where you're feeling all those emotions and that adrenaline that you get when you're sparring when you're getting hit and then just that need to like I don't know I just find it like when I get hit, I'm just like, yeah, like, bring it on. I, I love that feeling. I'm like, yeah, like, let's see what you got. And I just don't find, like, nothing has given me that. And obviously, when I went to SAS, I got that same thing. And I was like, oh, my God. I didn't think it was possible to get that from anything else, but I did. But again, that was in, that was in very extreme conditions. That was in extremely, like, tough conditions. And I don't need to go far to feel like that again because I just go step into a boxing gym and those emotions will come flooding back. And for me, that's like, I'm lucky to have that because I don't need to go searching for it. I know exactly what to do to get those emotions. And I thrive under that, under that pressure. I thrive under those emotions. Whereas some people, you know, have not experienced situations like boxing or being on a theater. There's wins, one is 35 in that kind of situation. As we saw people dropping like flies on, on the show, on the TAS, like two people went off which One of them was like the biggest guy there, and he was the first one out. So that's he's not there. Now, it was, I'll say this if anyone, you know, over the Christmas period, and I know a few, few people are in tier four, you've got time on your hands. Honestly, season five of SAS Who Dares wins. It's compelling and it's entertaining, man. So, Shaq, kudos to you for, for I mean, putting yourself on the line like that. So, and if nothing mm-hmm. else, you'll get to know Shaq in a, in a bit more detail. But I just want to bring it to the present now because, you know, there's no point in you know, having you on and not shining some light on your current ventures. So, I think it's, you've got the Move Training Centre and you've got Battle Ready mm-hmm. 360. So, I think yeah. the, the Battle Ready thing is obviously leveraging off some of the work you did on SAS Who Dares Wins. So you want to just share a bit about, you know, what they are and how you got into those and, you know, w- what you're doing with those two things. Yeah, of course. So Move Training Centre is a training facility um, owned by myself and my partner. So we started it back in 2005. And it is a calisthenics gym, essentially. Um and also, we have embedded what we both feel passionate about. So, martial arts, boxing, we've got like a little dedicated area for that. Um, and it is using your own body weight to train, to become strong, to build strength, um, and to also learn to move in your own body. So, we take mobility very seriously, natural movement. Um, and it is literally aimed at anyone, like whatever age, size, shape, background, you, ability, anything, you can literally just come in and 
that approach has really worked. Like we've done work with the community. I've worked with um, older people within the community who usually feel patronised, for example, going to and intimidated going to a normal commercial gym. And it has to be an open door to anyone who just who is just willing to come into a training facility and and try their hands at, at activities that I've not done before. And so we actually changed the name. It used to finish with gym, and now we've changed, we've changed it to move training facility, move training center, which is a training facility dedicated to calisthenics. Um, to remove any kind of stigma that comes with the word gym. Um, and it's been a great adventure to be on. I I haven't I haven't owned a business before. Um, it's just a testing to say the least, especially the, the first couple of years of getting it off the ground. Um, so my partner in business is also my partner in real life, and yeah, I think it, it tested our relationship in in different measures that I think maybe other people might not experience. Um, but we've learned like a lot about each other. Um, and now five years down the line, nearly six years, yeah, we, we've learned how to manage a business, especially a small business and within the fitness industry. We've, um, we know some, I know people's intentions sometimes, what they want to say, if they might say in a weird way, um, in terms of maybe doubting you and your business. Um, and I think I went into it when I was 22 and um, some people thought I was too young to be dealing with anything like that whilst also studying my master's. But like I said, I'd like to have a challenge. And um, yeah, I went in, went in and got chucked going to the deep end, but I enjoyed the challenge and yeah. So that's Move Training Centre. Um, extremely proud. You can check us out, movetc.uk. We're on social media as well. Um, all the great stuff we do with our community and all our members um, and of course this whole year with COVID has been extremely challenging and shout out to our members they are literally one of a kind like just sticking by us truly dedicated love them all um, and then Battle Ready 360 is a venture that I've joined and I'm part of the Battle Ready team now um, Battle Ready is essentially a fitness app but they also now have equipment um the battle box which provides you with literally all the need, all the equipment that you need to train anywhere you can be in your house you could be in the forest you could be in the middle of nowhere and you can get get training it's app um and battle ready 360 is basically made up of ollie otterington and um foxy both from sas who there's win and yeah, for me, it was really great to be able to be able to be part of that because Foxy and Oli saw the true me and what I'm truly like, and the pressure. And yeah, I just feel like it, they really got to know me on 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 the, on the show. And there were the two people, as well as Ant, who tried to get me back on when the um, the director took me off, and just hearing the words of wisdom and. They said, you know, they thought I'd be able to finish the course, and that's what that that meant. That for me was everything to hear that that they thought I would be able to finish it. That for me was really meaningful. That is good so validation, right? Yeah, massively. Yeah, I mean, 
I was so gutted and I was sat with Foxy, I was crying my eyes out and I said, I wonder, I just want to go back in and finish it. And he, you know, he said, surely, you know, me and an Ollie thinking you'd, you'd finish it, we were rooting for you, we wanted you to finish it. That should mean, that should mean a lot. And I was like, no, nah, actually that does, that does mean a lot. Um, and just to have them, especially on those like interrogation phase, just, I don't know, just knowing that I've got their belief on my side now, that meant a lot, especially because of what they've been through in life themselves. And then to be able to work with them and to just really get to know them as, as just like people outside of that has been fascinating. They've been really great with their help and support just in life. Um, I've learned a lot since knowing them too, since last year. Foxy has helped a lot in terms of my dad. So my dad suffers with complex um, post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of serving um, in the Iran and Iraq war, the Iranian army. And so Foxy offered his support with Rock to Recovery, which is a organization him and his friend Jamie run, and they help veterans better their mental health. Um, and he, yeah, Foxy really helped my dad with his, with his, problems and I would treasure that for the rest of my life because he genuinely pulled him out of a very bad situation with the help he provided um, and then just being part of this part already 360 team now it's just it's great because I get to work with them but also the, the team is a great diverse team of people and we all see eye to eye and I just can't wait to actually meet everyone I met I met the majority of the team just before covid restrictions but to actually meet everyone again I, I'm looking forward to that because working with like a great bunch of people from different walks of life is again it's a privilege and I'm happy that I'm part of that team and that I can associate with with, with Battle Ready 360 and I highly I do highly recommend the, the Battle Box I've got one myself and I, I've literally taken it we've gone away twice now um, camping I take it with me every, everywhere I go now and I'm one of those people where I take my training seriously and so it gives me the ability to be able to literally train anywhere I want um, and I wish I had access to it like last year when I went back to Iran because yeah um, I went back when everyone was on holiday and so all the gyms were closed so it was hard to train for me out there so yeah it's a great little kit and um, it is it's made by two incredible people who know their stuff. So one of the things, just to touch on, because I know you've got the psychology background. Mm-hmm. So have you, have you touched on much regarding the use of sort of psychedelics to deal with PTSD? Because I think that seems to be the emerging area of research. You know, is, you know where's the value yeah. in using, you know, p- p- psychedelics to deal with various forms of, mental challenges? I think, yeah, so I've read into that quite a lot, actually, and it is a a, a very popular topic, especially at the moment. Probably I'll say since 2018, there was a lot of research being done before that as well, but the, the increase in research was probably from two years ago, I'd say. And it is something that is coming to the surface in terms of the use of the drug what is very clear is that it has to be in a controlled setting. There has to be precautions put into place. There has to be backups. There has to be plan Bs, plan Cs, plan Ds put into place because everyone 
react differently to these drugs, especially because of the effects they have. And so when it's done in, in its right way, for example, in clinical trials, everything's controlled. And so you, you put measures in, into place for, for example, someone not reacting well to it. Um, and it has shown to be effective. It has shown to help, um, especially in terms of PTSD um, and what most, what most veterans experience after going to war. It has shown to help improve symptoms. And again, this differs across everyone, and so it's not like a it's not a cure, and that's one thing to get to get across is that this isn't a cure for PTSD. There is no cure for P, for PTSD. There are only things that we can do to help improve the symptoms, and or help you manage it better. And psychedelics has 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 got its place in this for sure, and I am for that. Um, as long as it is controlled and under safe precautionary measures. I think it, it it really comes down to what kind of person you are. Not everyone reacts the same with psychedelics. And so, yeah, I would definitely say it's something not to draw out and to consider. But, you know, if everyone knows themselves, you know, best in terms of their reactions. But if anyone ever considers doing it, to do it in a, in a clinical, controlled way where they are precautions in the place and protocols if if it didn't work out for you in that instance or if there were other consequences that you didn't personally account for but someone a professional who's within that job role would have accounted for every single outcome no absolutely i i personally hope that we start to remove the stigma around psychedelics and we just start to say okay can these be beneficial and in what settings are they beneficial? And I think we just, yeah, it's some, you know, almost like the discussion we had around cannabis for years where people said, nah, we don't believe in the benefits. But I think over time with new generations and more open-minded people, I think we will yeah. get there. Yeah, well, I, I think so too. I mean, we see it's been legalized recently. Um, and if, there, if it's been legalized in certain parts of the world, there's a reason why it's been legalized. And if it if it truly served a dangerous purpose, it would be illegal everywhere, and it's not. And so there's a reason. And the, the one thing with, with marijuana is that it's a very natural herb. It's something that's grown out of earth, and it becomes dangerous when humans start to tamper with it. That's when it becomes dangerous when they start to add things to it that shouldn't be added to it. For example, like artificial foods. Um, and so. Marijuana in its true essence is a natural form of herb that actually grows a lot in, within the Middle East and mountains. Um, and so in this natural, natural form, it's, it's been used 1950s, 1940s to, as a pain relief. Um, so it has its purpose for sure. There's a time and a place for these things and I think it's important that humans don't tamper with it at all. Absolutely. I'm just conscious of time and you, you probably got a bedtime now, which is, you know, a blessing after all that time in the wilds of Scotland. But I did want to, I wanted to come back to, to the essence of, of why we speak. So how much boxing do you still follow? Are you still a, a passionate fan? Oh, massively. Yeah. Probably more than ever. Yeah. I think as the years go on, I just, I just, and my understanding of it is just constantly increasing. I think there's always something to learn. I've dedicated my research to it as well. 
And I just feel like the research is picking up in boxing, especially in, in regards to um, women boxers, the mental side of boxing, the psychological side of it. Um, and I want to contribute to that massively, and um, I feel like I am, but there's always more work to be done. So, yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I would always be a fan. If not, if I can participate in boxing again, I'll do it for sure. So who excites you in boxing right now? Um, so... I'm going to have to say um, Triple G has always been a, a, a massive, I've been a fan of his, probably from his, like from day one, um, in terms of when I started boxing, he wasn't like as known as he is now. And I, I remember I looked him up and I was like, who's this guy? And um, just his, his background in life, and he's had some tough, like, upbringing moments. It really appealed to me. And then when I watched him as an amateur, I, like, got obsessed with his amateur fights. And I started watching those, and I was just blown away by this not very big guy, especially when he was younger, like, in his teens. He was a skinny, tall guy for his age. And he, the way he just moved and boxed, I was just, it just blew my head. Um... So, yeah, I'd have to say Triple G, and I'm watching him come through the ranks, and just the way he just finishes opponents is just like no other. And what I love about him is his personality outside of the ring. And this is one thing that I think boxing needs is, is that humbleness of boxers, is that arrogance dropped, and, you know, teach the youngers about being humble and actually being being, being a true athlete, showing respect. Um and like Triple G has all those qualities, and you just if you see him out on the road, you be like, "Who's this guy?" And then boom, he's just he's just got this switch. When the ring, like he just like when I watched him um, recently with his fight, he's been out for a while, and I was just you know I had my thoughts like, "Is he gonna have you know a ring rust and whatever?" Well, I mean, yeah, he didn't, and he looked in phenomenal shape. His performance was phenomenal. And yeah, it just blew me away as always. And I just think we need more people like, we need more boxers like him, not necessarily like his style, but him as a person, as an athlete, like, yeah. I just think we need more boxers like Triple G. Yeah, he, he fascinates me in, in every aspect. And I'm always, I just, he's one of those people that no matter what time he's fighting, I will be there. I will, I will show up. And I stayed up, I think it was in the weekend until. I had a nap, so I timed everything. Woke up at half ten, and then I stayed up till I think it was two. He came on, and I went back to sleep after his fight. Um, so yeah, I'd say he really excites me as a boxer, and I've got to say as well, um, Ramla Ali. Just watching her climb the ranks, especially because I've, I've known I've known her through her amateur amateur years. And just watching her come through the ranks has been fascinating. Um, so yeah, yeah, she's my home girl. So she just every time she's on, I am just glued to my screen, watching her. And just she's a phenomenal boxer. Um, and I, I love watching her. I've watched her amateur fight. Um, we've boxed at the same venue multiple times. And yeah, I just yeah, again, one of those people where I'm glued on to the ring when she steps in. It's interesting. You two have a pretty similar style where 
uh, well, obviously different heights and weights, but when I watch Ramla, Ramla's got that same thing of she just gets stuck in and she doesn't let you breathe. And what I like is you do this as well. You will throw Mm -hmm. every shot in the book. So it's not like you're just a one-two merchant. It's not like you're just a, a body hooker. Like I've seen you, one, two, step back, right uppercut, left hook, straight, right, left. I'm like, when are you going to rest? And she's got that same <laughs> quality about her where you're like, look, you know, just let the other person have a go. You know, it's like, you know, like when you see parents with kids, they're like, look, look, let Timmy have a kick as well. I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Yeah, I get that. But, oh, but I am going to wipe the smile off your face by saying I'm not a Triple G fan. Well, actually, no, I'll rephrase that. I don't I don't like the esteem he's held. Like when people tell me Golovkin is an all-time great middleweight and I just go, how? I think it's too soon to say he's an all-time because he hasn't finished his career. So I wouldn't quite go that far, but I would say at the moment he's up there pound for pound. Um, one of the best ones out there until proven wrong. I think. See, well, Canelo yeah. proved him wrong. <laughs> I, was just, I was just about to say, Canelo gave him a good fight, but controversial. It was controversial opinion. I would love to see another fight with him to just close that one out. Um, and because, I mean, you, you just don't put Canelo down. Like, I think Triple G gave him an amazing fight, and I would watch him in the weekend with Smith. And wow, like, Smith is a good fighter. And the, what he done to him? I mean, his bicep, his bicep was like hanging. But and it's clever boxing at his best. That's so. It's I, I, I explained this to people. People said, "Ah, it's bad sportsmanship." I was like, "No, that's the most old school thing no. ever." Oh, you yeah. want, you want to put your arms up? Do you? Okay, we're going to find out how badly you want to put your arms up. Bang! Have some yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, it's tactics. It's clever tactics. Like you got to do what you got to do, and it's not dirty boxing. At all, it's just tactics. I'm like, this is like six or three or something, and you've got to think of different ways of breaking your opponent down. That being one of them. You know, I always remember the Carl Froch Andre Ward fight, and if you remember the oh, first yeah. round when Ward was just bullying Froch, and Froch was looking at the ref, going, "Is he allowed to do that?" And the ref's like, "Yeah, it's in the rules," and Carl yeah. could never <laughs> get to grips with the roughhousing. Yeah, it wasn't used to. I remember that. And I just kept thinking, the ref ain't going to save you now. Like, you need to just, just, I don't know, change up, change your strategy or something, because the ref won't put you out of this one. No, I thought um, it was brilliant. And these are the things we don't teach anymore, which is a shame, actually, in British boxing that we don't teach those old crafty tricks like the, the grabbing the arm and just tweaking that elbow a little bit, round after round, until eventually your arm's just hanging and then bang, I mean, good night. Literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if if there's anything in boxing that needs to be stuck in this old ways, it should be those little, little sneaky tactics because they pay off, like not other practices. But that is one thing that I think would be beneficial to keep drilling into people because it, it works and it's another tool in the arsenal and it, it works. Do you know, big, boxing's biggest mistake was to separate itself from other martial arts because, like, I did... Yeah. God, when I was a kid, I did Kung Fu and Taekwondo. And the thing Kung Fu taught me was is that there's a principle which is you never lose control of your opponent. 
So if you notice, like all kung fu moves involve strikes, and then once you hold your opponent, you move him around until he submits. You don't let go. Mm-hmm. And I think those moves you learn are beneficial in boxing. And I think it's why a lot of Far Eastern guys are generally quite good at stuff like that because they come mm-hmm. from those backgrounds, whether it's Salat or Muay Thai or, you know, some other form of Far Eastern martial art. It could even be like judo. They just know how to maneuver you. You know, it's not just yeah. about the punches. Manhandle you, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, no, I agree for sure. And, um, it, it, yeah, it comes with being familiar with different types of martial arts and how how people literally move when you're fighting. But that's all it is. Boxing's just the, the art of movement. It's, it's the oh, simple as it is. You know, the, yeah, the, it is the art, yeah. yeah. Manipulation of shape and space, a little bit of manipulation of psychology, but essentially it's, a, it's, an art, it's an art form revolving around movement and people forget that. Yeah. You know, absolutely. It's in its true essence, that is what it is. Like, no more, no, no less. That is literally what it is. Nah. Shaq, this has been absolutely brilliant. I can't believe we've just done three hours ten, and now I've got to go and edit this. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly don't feel like it's been that long. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. No, no, listen, I appreciate it. Like it's, it's been, it's been good. I didn't think we'd go three hours, but it's gone by. I think realistically, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to two part this, but it, it fits into two natural halves, so we're all good. Perfect. I'm glad we've got everything in there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to go back and listen to this myself. And thank you for having me. Like, yeah. it's an absolute pleasure. So I'll let, I really enjoyed yeah. it a lot. Cool. So I will, I'll obviously, as you know, I'll let you know when it's up. And all all the relevant details that people need will be in the in the episode notes. So don't worry. Make sure the links and the Perfect. stuff is all there. Perfect. Awesome. Cool. Thank you very much. And three hours later, we wrap up. Um, I really enjoyed speaking to Shaq. I enjoyed her story. I enjoyed her experiences. I enjoyed her passion. I enjoyed her insight. I thought she she gave us a perspective of not just female boxing, but female sport that we don't often get to hear. And what I hope is she becomes one of the agents of change and she helps take the sport forward, well, sport in general forward. And she encourage us to have the discussion that will push us all forward and help us become better sports fans, better sports coaches and better sports citizens. Uh, I can't, I'm still smiling now and I can't get over how much fun I had in that conversation. And the three hours felt like 30 minutes. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Key things to take away from this, please follow. These are the sort of people we should be following. These are the sort of people we should be giving platforms to because ultimately nothing's going to move forward if we don't put the right people in position to share their voices and share their stories. So thank you very much for listening. Have a fantastic Christmas. If you're in tier four, my thoughts are with you. You know how to get hold of me. If you need to just shoot the shit, kill the time, whatever, more than happy to help in any way that I can. Stay strong, guys. We will get through this. Take care. Have a great Christmas. <laughs>